0: I'm Valerie Earnshaw.
1: I'm Carly Hill.
0: And this is Sex, Drugs, and Science. So now in this episode, we are inviting you to our wrap episode. So this is sort of like our, you know, end of season celebration conversation (laughs) with our undergraduate research assistants who have been working on the podcast all summer. And just for a little bit of um, context, this is something that we do in our lab. Um, At the end of every semester, we have sort of a party. So this is you know i don't know if anybody felt like this wrap episode was a party but it was fun it was a fun conversation and we kind of reflected on uh, why we made the podcast and also how we did it hey rock stars welcome to the rap party end of season Woo.
1: yay
0: all right, so I thought that we could kick off our party by introducing ourselves. If you could just you know, tell everybody maybe your name, a little bit about you so that they can connect um, your names and your voices. So Alyssa, why don't we start with you? Hi,
2: my name is Alyssa. Um, I'm a rising senior at University of Delaware. Um, I am a public policy major with a minor in anthropology. And my role with this podcast is I help do some research for each coming guest. Um, I do some social media work and I also help with this
0: transcribing occasionally. Awesome. All right, Sarah.
3: Hi, my name is Sarah Lopez. I'm also a rising senior and my major is human relations administration. I just really love working with people. Um, and I joined the lab because I didn't know exactly what went into the research and the whole process in um, a whole research project. So I really love that I'm able to be a part of this podcast, but also just being able to be that behind the scenes that goes into such great work that um, we see going on in this lab and in other labs as well. And in the lab, Alyssa and I, my favorite part of being My favorite part of being a lab member was last summer. Alyssa and I coded multiple interviews and that was one of the best things I think I've done in this lab. It was really fun because you were able to read interviews, um, kind of see what it's like to interview these people. It almost felt like I was a part of the interview, Um, but that was my favorite thing. But I also love working on this podcast as well.
0: I forgot about that. So... Last summer, the group was uh, coding all of these qualitative interviews that Carly and our graduate student Natalie had done in our local methadone clinic. And I remember that I knew that Alyssa was going to be great for that particular job because she came into the interview with this like monster book that she was reading. <laughs> Alyssa, do you remember what book you were reading?
2: Yeah, I was, I came in with uh, the Game of Thrones. Yes.
0: <laughs> and I was book. like, oh, if if this lady likes to read. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, we had hundreds and, like, hundreds of pages of um, qualitative interviews. Like, we had qualitative interviews from 150 people times two, right? Yeah. We, we did two time points, so. And
1: they were all, like, an hour long, at yeah. least. Some of them, like, two hours long. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, yeah, Sarah and Alyssa completely rocked it like I mean amazing like did all of the qualitative coding for that that was really great yeah that's that makes me feel great that you enjoyed that (laughs) it's really nice all right um kicking it over to Mackenzie
4: hi I'm Mackenzie I just graduated from the University of Delaware I was a health behavior science major with a minor in public health so being part of this lab has been really great learning more about the um, public health world and the stigmas that go along with it. And I've learned so much and I'm, I've i really, am grateful for having this opportunity. Um, and I just started a job working in the healthcare field.
0: And that's how you know that Mackenzie is a complete and total rock star because she started a new job, was newly hired, first time, first adult, like, you know, big deal gig during the pandemic. yeah when no one is starting new jobs. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> Oh so, so congratulations you. Mackenzie we're super thrilled. Um, Thank super you thrilled for you and we're also glad that we get to hang out with you for a couple more weeks Thank as you wrap <laughs> up your internship.
4: Thank you and I um, in terms of what I do for the podcast or the research, I um, transcribe podcast episodes and I do a little bit of work working um, the coronavirus conspiracy theory research.
0: Keeps you busy because there are so many conspiracy theories.
2: Exactly.
0: All right. And last but certainly not least, we'll kick it over to Christina.
2: Hi, everyone.
5: I'm Christina. Uh, This fall, I'll be starting my sophomore year at the University of Delaware. I'm majoring in computer science and minoring in human development and family sciences. For the podcast, I edit the episodes and I help out with researching the guests as needed. Um, I'm really excited that I'm a part of this lab because I really value the intersection of humans and science.
0: Love any rising sophomore who loves an intersection with science, especially (laughs) humans and science. It's just like, you know, now I'm like the emoji, like with all of the hearts coming out of it. It's just really my, my favorite thing. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we are going to dig into our podcast origin story. So I sort of feel like like this is the part of the podcast where we need like a campfire and we need to like pull up our seats or something right yeah yeah. So just like envision that. I mean, Christina, maybe later you could like add some like crackling, you know, air yeah. noises, <laughs> crickets with. and
1: stuff. Yeah. Not yeah. Crickets, totally. Because this is such. A <laughs> I know, but I mean, you know, the ambiance. Maybe all right. Someone playing like Kumbaya yeah. on the guitar or Wonderwall yeah, totally. or something like that. You know. I think
0: most realistically, there should be sounds of Carly burning her marshmallow and then like you know eating it too quickly and then. Yeah. yeah
1: that, like, how did you know that is exactly how I eat marshmallows? That is like oddly specific. (laughs) But incredibly on point. Go. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. So I feel like I should say it was a dark and stormy night, but it wasn't. It was our origin story begins with me giving a webinar for the National Institutes of Health. It was their Office of Disease Prevention. They have this um, webinar series where they have scientists come on and they do like an hour long presentation basically on some sort of method that mostly like social and behavioral sciences might apply to their research. So I was invited to do one of these webinars and, um, let me, you know, preface by saying I gave, I give a lot of talks. And in 2019, for some reason, I gave like a lot, a lot of talks and, this particular talk, I really, like, threw my back into, like, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I wanted to give the talk or the webinar because I knew it would be, like, saved on the internet. I wrote it out. I, I even, like, a couple weeks beforehand, I had to give a different talk, and I, like, previewed parts of it to see if it would go well. I got good feedback. I was, like, I was really, like, man, this is a good
1: talk <laughs> well and it paid off because what she's not going to say is that it was also like one of the highest registered like yeah. it's like, so, not like the most participants they'd had registered yeah for...
0: for the series to date so that yeah. was very cool so there were like hundreds of people who were in on, who were you know tuning in for this webinar which was really neat um so i was even after the webinar i felt really good and then i get this email from this guy, and he's got a lot of pro tips for me about how to do better in my um, in presentations, including this um, piece, which I'm going to read for you. Even though it makes you know, it definitely makes me embarrassed. But anyway, he goes. I apologize at the outset of this if it seems to have a personal tone to it, because it is not intended from that direction. And now I'm realizing I can't get through this, reading this without like annotating. So I just want to say that if you have to start an email by saying like- (laughs) No offense, but. No offense, but essentially like don't write the email. Okay, got that out of my system. Maybe I can get through the rest. What has come to be known as valley speak, the rising of the tone slash pitch at the end of each phrase or sentence and or the emphasizing of the last syllable of a word such that the auditory result is that the phrase slash sentence seems to be a question rather than a statement has become common amongst some speakers. And um, he didn't say which speakers. (laughs) He meant women. And I'm pretty sure he meant younger women. Back to him. It can be quite distracting to listeners in an audience in that it directs the listener's mind down a path to expect to have to answer an inquiry rather than accept a statement, the latter of which most often is intended as another piece in the foundation or other slash further structural member of the
1: presentation. Dude, wait, guys, <laughs> how much did auditory result? Like, Bra. Yeah. Bruh. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs>
0: So I get this email and then I just feel like I felt terrible, like I'm a stigma researcher. I have have since classified like this was a sexist thing to receive, Um, but I get this and I just feel like, oh my gosh, I sound really dumb on everything I say, including this uh, webinar. And I'm using Valley Speak, and so it just it made me feel really low. And I mean, his whole email. I mean, there are other pro tips, like it's just terrible. <laughs> um, but then I was like, you know, how does how would this guy know what scientists actually sound like? Like, yes, maybe I'm using Valley Speak. Um, Or maybe I have some upspeak, although Carly assures me that's not as bad as I think.
1: Well, I said, how many, like, guys, how many times has Dr. Earnshaw said something? You're like, dude, I don't know if that's a question or like a statement. I don't know. Like, what's she saying to me? That has not happened. It's just like, you understand that people communicate in different Mm -hmm.
0: ways. Like, yeah. 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 So I essentially felt like he was like, you're, listen, little girl, you need to change the way you speak so that you sound like a scientist. And I kind of started circling around into then a place of anger and frustration. First off being like, you know, not super impressive that you thought for 45 minutes to an hour that I was personally asking you questions. And like, that must've been very confusing for you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So like for him, but then also, you know, like I said into this place of like, how would you know what a scientist sounds like? You know, you might read our publications, you might, Um, yeah, you might read our publications or, you know, see our stuff on the website, but you don't hear from scientists. You don't know who they are. So this, I am a scientist. I think I'm a decent scientist and this is how I talk and it's fine. And so actually um, you know, just in this vein, one of the things that we don't do on this podcast is really script anything. It's supposed to sound like how we actually speak like there are wonderful podcasts out there who have that have different goals and, and um the academics on those podcasts are very scripted they like write their script and then they read their script and we're purposefully not doing that because we think that it's important for people to hear like this is how scientists talk to each other like it's casual maybe there's some valley speak but (laughs) none of us are confused about whether we're asking each other questions or (laughs) all right so then i had this idea like okay we need to hear more from scientists we need to a hear their voices and b you like wouldn't it be interesting to hear you know, more about, as Stephanie Schnorr later said, the people behind the publications a little bit. Like, how did they get into this? Like, clearly we need to recruit also more people into this gig so we have more diverse voices. So um, I then called my friend Kim Nelson from episode two and I was like, Kim, what if I start a podcast? <laughs> and she was like, you know, A plus idea, go right ahead. And I said, okay, but if I get any hate mail, you know, or more critique emails, I'm just going to forward all of those to you because that's the part of this that I don't, I'm not excited about. And she said, deal, which is why if you do have any complaints about the podcast, we'd like you to direct them to knels at foe.com. So we'd appreciate that. Don't send them to us, send them to Kim Nelson. Yeah. If you have any nice things to say, hit us up though. Yeah. Any nice things, you know, send them right to us. So, yeah, then we, um, you know, got the green light from Kim that this wasn't a terrible idea and then immediately roped Carly into the nonsense. Um, And then we brought it to the group and we had a discussion about it. So I don't know. Do you guys do you remember when we brought it to the group? Was it did it sound like a really weird thing to be doing or did it sound like a fun thing to be doing?
5: I think something that I like about this lab and maybe just being like a first gen student, I didn't really know how research worked. I was like, oh, this is just something we're going to do. Like anything is possible. And we're we're like just going to tackle anything that we want to do in this lab. So I also like that you have like science friends in the field who are you call up and you're like, hey, can we start a pod? Like we should start a podcast. What do you think? And they're like, yeah, totally. Like I love that that support exists within the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think for me too, the other thing that was funny was that the way that you first approached me was more like, you know, we totally don't have to do this at all. Like, is this stupid? (laughs) Like, you know, is this even something you'd want to do? And I'm like, do I want to make a podcast for a living? Yup. Like, isn't that like everyone's goal? Like, this is, you know, not that I'm doing it, you know, for a living. I just mean to say that like this is definitely a part of the work that I do, obviously. And like, how cool is that? That I was like, "Uh, yeah. Where do I sign up? Where do we begin? Yeah, totally.
0: It was, yeah. I mean, would you rather spend all of your time coding?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I right mean, you know, seriously? I like that too. I'm a weirdo, but I do definitely <laughs> yeah. love this. But it was just funny that I, I think, you know, you were like, "Ah, oh, it might be a hard definitely. sell. And I was like, uh, absolutely.
0: Well, mostly because we don't have time to do this, right? Right. Like, yeah. So there's, no, there's no time to do this. But we're doing it anyway and we're yeah, enjoying it.
3: I still think that you should frame this email and like put it somewhere where like you see it every morning and then remind yourself who you are and then how far you've come and also how right. many people were on that that conference or that talk and this person was the only one to say something
0: yeah well right. isn't that like the funny thing though when you experience discrimination that like you could feel really amazing about it but then it's like that one that one person who tried to take you down a notch who and you need to not let them, I think. But right. I really love that, Sarah. That's really great. Cause like even what I did was I forwarded it to some colleagues. They read it and laughed and then I buried it. Like I archived it and even copying and paste it, pasting it into this email. It's like the first time I've looked at it since. And I just, it made me feel self-conscious again, to be really honest. I was like, Oh, my Valley speak. Everyone's going to know.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: That's a really empowering thing. That would be a really empowering thing to do. I mean, we could really have like a whole wall, right, in the office full of these types of things and experience. We could just start documenting.
1: Yeah, I said, if anything, like reach out to the guy and say, thank you. Because, you know, you inspired a pretty awesome podcast. And, you know, without you and your kind and what was it? The, uh, you know, the non-personal words, sir. Like we... (laughs) get to do this podcast so thanks well I I'm
0: worried if I email him back he'll see the link to the podcast in my notes I'm not worried or in my email signature I'm not worried that he'll listen to this it would, <laughs> that would be great I am worried though <laughs> that he's gonna like be driving around listening to the podcast and thinking I'm asking him questions like all of the time yeah. and be distracted like what if he gets into an accident <laughs> Or, like, what if something, what if he trips? Like, yeah. something bad could happen to him because he is trying to answer me. You right. Know? It, could, yeah. it could just be dangerous. But, yeah, no, I mean, we could consider it as well. We could. Yeah. All right. So, we had the idea. We had the, we obviously had an ace team. The next thing was to um, figure out, obviously, our cover art and our music. So, uh, Alyssa, what was the story behind our uh, cover art and music?
2: Sure. Um. So I went to middle school with, um, with my friend Connie, and we were in the art program, and I've stayed friends with her since. And I thought, um, since she was attending art school, Micah, that she would be a really good candidate for potentially drafting up a, like, a podcast cover. Um. So I got Connie, and then in terms of the music, um, I listened to lo-fi hip hop for like studying sometimes occasionally uh yeah maybe um and then i talked to carly i think yeah i think
1: the i said like i was like well you know like i think i tried to be like cool and hip with the undergrads it was like maybe like some like lo-fi hip-hop but i just kept saying that i don't know that i like actually knew what that meant but Alyssa was like dude i gotcha and came up with you know found the city girl track and it's awesome
0: yeah, Alyssa played like two, like a minute of the City Girls soundtrack, and we were like, yep, sold. How do we, yep. how do, what do we do next? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would like to back up a minute, though, because Connie is amazing. She's a really fantastic artist, and we're super glad, A you know, that you introduced us. And Alyssa and Connie used to do a Gilmore Girls zine, I believe, which is amazing. Is that true? Yeah. Am I embarrassing?
2: Oh. <laughs> no, you no, you're not embarrassing. It never came to fruition. It never was actualized, unfortunately, but we do very much love
1: yeah, I mean, the girls. Yeah. So. Who doesn't, you know? Who yeah. wouldn't?
0: Um, well, the other thing I wanted to say was that we sent Connie the concept, you know, sex, drugs, and science, and Connie sent us back, you know, we've landed on like a, like, I think a pretty G-rated cover art. Connie sent us back some pretty fantastic not (laughs) g-rated
1: stuff yeah like some beautifully spicy yeah i know (laughs) yeah it was
0: spicy um yeah so maybe this will be another point in the podcast where we'll plug our instagram at sex drug science and we'll have to um follow up with connie and get permission to post some of her like more spicy artwork to the um to the podcast or sorry to the instagram page but um and you can see there but some of it you know we sort of felt like well if our boss at the university sees this maybe we can't um maybe they'll have some questions about what we're up to (laughs) but it was amazing and um it was really fun to work with her so yeah all right and then we had a podcast pretty much I mean we had to interview people I guess
1: yeah, but I mean like that, that that pretty much all came together. It felt super legit after that. I think that's what we needed to do to get in the mindset. So like, all right, now now we're real podcasters. We got some yeah. equipment.
0: We have a cover art. I will say I think the thing we probably underestimated the most was maybe editing. And Christina totally came to the rescue for that. So Christina, you basically taught yourself audacity, right? figured out
5: Uh, okay so (laughs) google taught me audacity like this is like one of the biggest things in computer science that all of my professors like stress is you have to know how to google everything and i was like that makes no sense like everyone knows how to google but then i was like oh you need to know how to google things once i started working with audacity and it's just like it's hard but it's like it's a fun learning curve and i really enjoy it yeah you've been fantastic and
0: Christina has the ambitions to go on to a PhD program, with her, which I'm sure that she will, because she's super, super talented. And at some point, I think this season with one of our guests, we talked about how basically getting a PhD is like really knowing how to Google stuff, <laughs> you know, because you're just constantly learning, you're constantly figuring it out. So whether it's Google Google or Google Scholar, you're just kind of, you really need to learn, you really need to be able to pick up new skills and constantly be sort of evolving. So I think that skill set will continue to serve you well.
1: Yeah, you'll be ahead of the curve. Yeah.
0: All right. So early on, um, one of the, the first one of the first things we did, in addition to you know cover art, music, start thinking out guests, was we actually sat down and thought through why we wanted to do this, which was I think a good um, process. And Alyssa drafted what we um, have called our manifesto. So Alyssa, do you wanna kick us off? And um, it's a four point manifesto. So to kick us off and read the point one.
2: Sure. Um, The first point is um, shift the public's perception towards social science, um, debunking hard versus soft science.
1: I think we've done that. Yep, check. And then
3: following that is disrupting idea that hard science is objective and social science is subjective.
1: Definitely check. Mm -hmm.
0: I really enjoyed how uh, Sam Friedman, who is our bonus episode, he talked a lot about that. You know, I think he would say that all science is um, through the lens of the scientist. All right.
5: And then the third point is humanized stories of marginalized people.
4: And last but not least, spotlighting professionals and community members working in the realm of social sciences.
1: Definitely check.
0: Yeah, Alyssa, A-plus on the manifesto.
1: Yeah, and go team. We did it.
0: Yeah, and I'll say I appreciate that the hard versus you know, debunking hard versus soft science is prominent in our manifesto because nothing drives me more bananas than someone, you know, referring to what I do as soft science, or I don't even like social science, to be honest, because I feel like it's othering. Like, if you're a biologist, you're just a scientist. If you're a chemist, you're just a scientist. But as soon as you study humans, (laughs) you know, and their interactions then you're a social scientist so i don't i don't like that i'm just a scientist so um i really love that part of our manifesto is to like is to debunk that and just and to not other social you know social science behavioral science to just say you know this is science so i always tell when i teach research methods class i always you know, tell the students in those classes that understanding humans is really, really hard, and designing yeah. strong studies to understand humans is is super challenging. So they might be glad that they're not in chemistry, but yeah. <laughs> they're still, you know, buckling up for a pretty challenging um, science ride. So, okay. So the other um, thing that I think in our early discussions we thought was an important part of what we were doing is disseminating science. Um, and I think we had a lot of conversations, and we actually you know, did some reading around why is it important to disseminate science essentially beyond peer-reviewed publications. So um, most of the people that we've interviewed over the course of the summer, they do their research. They write their research up in these um, articles. They send them out to these you know specific scientific journals they're reviewed by um, their peers, by other scientists in the field, and then they're published in that journal and then that's it like that's where that piece of information lives and unless you have access to one of those journals, because maybe you're affiliated with a university or um, some some of the, some of the articles that include science that was funded by NIH has to be freely available but um, a lot of that research is behind a paywall. Like you have to pay like $40 to access some of these articles. So we had a lot of conversations around why it's super important to, um, to disseminate scientific findings beyond peer reviewed articles and also to do it in a way that is accessible. You know, sometimes these articles are written in a way that is, you know, it's scientific writing, so it's not super user friendly. Um, So what do you guys think about, you know it's been a few months since that conversation what do you think it means to you to be disseminating scientific information and knowledge in this sort of current era especially a lot has changed in terms of activism black lives matter um reforming police brutality even covid i mean how has your thoughts on science dissemination evolved
5: something that i've definitely noticed especially in relation to like science and the general public is that we don't really like think using the scientific method which like obviously we don't we're humans but I think what I really value about the scientific method that isn't always talked about is that you're allowed to be wrong and we always like the the paper is focused on the hypotheses or the findings that are right but like behind every paper there's like failed hypotheses there's evidence that doesn't support what you were looking for and part of science is looking at the evidence and forming conclusions that you might not have initially like thought you would come to and I think that's really important, especially in terms of like activism and challenging social norms. I think that we have to like accept that like my, one of my professors said that failure is just an opportunity to ask new questions. And I think that's really like failure has such a bad connotation. But I think when you think about it in terms of the scientific method, failure is just like one step in the learning process. And I just think that we need to be OK with being wrong as long as we like take steps to understanding what's right.
0: Damn. Wow, Christina. <laughs> I feel like we should just conclude this whole this thing now. Um, well, okay. So first of all, my mind first was going in the direction of COVID because, you know, like I think that people are upset when like we are getting things wrong and there's this whole conversation right around like hydroxychloroquine right now and, with, you know, and People have like zero tolerance for things being wrong or being debated, and you're so right that it's just like an inherent part of the com- of the scientific method and then on the other side of that it speaks directly to black lives matter I mean we're getting it wrong in our systems, in our institutions, and um, the scientific method does offer up a way of being like, yeah, it's okay, we get it wrong, we need to refigure it out, we need to look at the patterns of what's happening, and then we need to figure out solutions to it that's Yeah, that's a really interesting way to kind of think about everything happening (laughs) this
5: summer. Yeah. And I think especially with like the systems, people take it as a personal threat when you're like, this system is doing it wrong or this person is doing it wrong. But I think that also has to go with the way that we approach it. Like one of the organizations I'm in talks about calling people in instead of calling people out. And like, it's not a like personal attack when you say the system is wrong or the system is hurting people. It's, hey, like there's a problem that we can take active steps to making not as wrong. It's not, like, a personal threat always.
4: I would agree with what um, Christina says, especially with, um, like, research articles, mostly just focusing on, like, what went well, Uh, when a lot of times I think that there needs to be a lot of focus on not only, like, what went wrong or, like, what wasn't what we were expecting, but also put more focus on what we can do to make things better for the future because, like, yeah, you can report all the results you want, but if you're not looking to see, like, well, how can we take what we have, like, the information we have now based on, you know, the research we've done or, you know, the studies and basically applying that to be better in the future, I feel like that's not, like, it's not really going to, it's not beneficial if you don't take that information and you try to make um, like better outcomes and a better future.
0: I love that Mackenzie. And I think what happens often is that, you know, scientists have 3000 words to describe their full study, all the reasons they did it, everything they found, all the strengths and limitations. And then that leaves them like a hundred words to talk about how to apply it. So all of the scientists that we've interviewed have like deep and complex thoughts about what to do with their work and why it's important and how to make the world a better place. But in those 3,000 words, you know, of those articles are not going to get there. And right. so, yeah, opening up like a platform or a space for people to talk more about that, I think is super important. Yeah, that's a really great point.
1: One of my favorite questions to ask a lot of the people that we've interviewed so far is like in your ideal world, you know, what is your ideal intervention or your, you know, what's your end all be all or the, the, you know, how are we going to fix it? And that question leads to a lot of, you know, really interesting conversations that I feel like exactly what you were just saying, Dr. Earnshaw, is that we wouldn't otherwise get that because, you know, it's hard to put all that stuff with, you know, the, the right sort of feeling in it in 300 words or less, you know, so that's a good one.
0: Could I ask? Because I know um, just because in this moment of COVID and Black Lives Matter, and um, that was a special guest appearance from my dog Katniss, by the way. But um, I know that you you're all at home, and um, so like you know, when you're in a university setting, you're in like this kind. You're kind of like in a bubble, even though some of the people in your bubble might be uh, share have different views from you, of course, and um that's certainly the case at our university as well as many others but i think it's it's particularly interesting to go to be kind of navigating through this really pronounced moment for science and activism and social change at home what's it like for you to have conversations maybe about covid or about black lives matter with other people in your you know, in your networks, when you have maybe one scientific understanding of how things work, like a, I have a scientific understanding about what social distancing means or about what black or about sorry what um masks mean, and then somebody else has a different one. How do you engage in that scientific conversation, or how do you engage in a conversation with someone who doesn't understand systemic you know racism or or doesn't think that that's really a problem? How do you think about since you all have know scientific understandings of some of these issues how do you engage in those conversations with people who might disagree with you or have you had to do that has that been something you've had to navigate
2: um personally like I think one of the most important things when you're having a conversation with someone whose like view like doesn't align with yours is to have empathy when you enter the conversation and another key part I would mention is um trying to understand their point of view and understand like what do they what is their concept of say like systemic racism?
0: It's a very kind approach
3: yeah. <laughs> and I I would agree, but also um, from like my high school experience and then well for some context, I'm from Southern Delaware. So Southern Delaware is a little bit um, a little different than Northern <laughs> Delaware, which is where I go to school. UD.
0: I say it's more conservative socially in Southern Delaware. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So with the whole Black Lives Matter movement kind of gaining some more um, attention in the media recently, it's been a little, you know, awkward down here to even have some of these conversations because some of the people down here are just so closed-minded and are not even willing to have a conversation with So I've had this conversation many times with some of the people I grew up with and I, it's up that I don't consider them friends anymore. I just know who I can talk to and who I can't talk to about certain issues that are going on. But it, it upsets me because it's not even like things that should be debated. It's basic human rights that are sometimes debated. And that's something that shouldn't be. And sometimes you get so much pushback from some of these people. It just hurts me to know that they don't understand this and that they continue going through their lives. Like, hurting others and just thinking this way and it's hard I think it's hard because like you grow up with some people but then you realize as you grow up like how different you are yeah
5: yeah definitely going off of what Sarah was saying about how some arguments are about human rights I've definitely started to notice that there are arguments or conversations I have the privilege to take part in so I've started to shut them down like I'm not going to sit there and argue with someone over whether black lives matter or not like, it's a privilege to be able to argue that point. And I don't think it's productive to have that argument at all. And I think once I make that point, like, we're coming from a place where it's a privilege to be able to argue over that or not. Really, like, that communicates it pretty well. But with like science, one thing that I've learned is when you're trying to have an argument over whether someone should like believe in science or not, you can't approach it scientifically, which, like, <laughs> is like very paradoxical. Yeah. But like, you have to appeal to their emotions more. So it's more like, well, if you don't wear a mask, then one of your older relatives is going to get hurt, and then it like you have to kind of make it about them, which is like uh not a great conversation to have, but like when you make things personal, I think more than it appeals to people more when it hits closer to home than a like scientific finding might communicate something
0: Well I feel like that's a very evidence based approach even <laughs> and
4: I'll just add that I feel as if my Experiences, I guess, with like my education. And um, I feel like I've just learned so much about these types of issues going on right now. And it's made me like happy that at least I feel as if I'm not like closed minded about something and I'm not like stuck in my ways and just like seeing people who are just so stuck in their ways and not willing to see you know, people's, like, opinions, or, like, see the opposite side, it just really, I guess, shows just how, I guess, grateful I am to be able to realize, well, like, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, does this make sense? Like, I'm not going to be, like, stuck believing one thing, and I'm going to, like, you know, hear other opinions, and, like, use what I've learned, I guess, as a way, instead of just saying, like, shutting down every other, you know, what other people are saying just because I don't agree with
5: them. I think it's like, we're constantly learning. And I think that something I've noticed is that there are some things that like my parents like just don't know. Like I've, there are things that I didn't know until a few weeks ago that I learned from like an Instagram infographic and my parents aren't on Instagram looking at all of their friends sharing stories about like informative posts. Like, I think that's something that like my generation is very willing to like learn and acknowledge that like there's things we don't know and so like sometimes it's just sitting down and having a conversation with my mom because she didn't realize that like these systems that don't oppress her are oppressing other people and it's not that it's not always coming from a place of hate it's just she didn't experience it so she never like she never learned and I think it's about it's some of the responsibility falls on us like we're learning this and it's our responsibility to share what we're learning
0: now I'm envisioning you guys like you know like infiltrating, (laughs) like learning all of these things and going out and infiltrating. And I'm getting this like really lovely visual. Mackenzie, what you were saying really resonated with me because as a, as a scientist, I see some people who are decades into their career and really, really talented and really smart. And they'll be like, Not budging on their theoretical framework. For example, like they published this theoretical framework in 1995, and it's the best theoretical framework. And like they don't incorporate like new language or new ideas. And like this is this is the framework. And so I even think about that, like as a scientist, that how can I make sure that I haven't that I didn't like have this thought about how this thing worked in like 2009 or something. And that's the only way that I'm going to talk about that forever. Like how do I stay really engaged in the literature and, um, and take, you know, stick to it when I think that I'm in the right lane, but also like incorporate new innovations, new voices and, you know, as I move forward. So I think about that. I still think about that a lot, even like in my science. So I think that that's a really, yeah. 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 So, were there things from this um this season uh, this podcast season that you learned, or did anything um, stick out to you either what the- po- what the guests were doing or different um, social justice initiatives that folks were involved in anything um, that were big takeaways for you?
2: I liked how um the the episode of Jasmine Abrams and how her tweet inspired her and a colleague to devise a hundred and one ways in which they can like dismantle like structural racism and other systems of oppression. And I thought that was really awesome. And I think one point in the episode that really st- stood out to me is that she was pointing out that like you all have the data and stuff and it's 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 up to you to work like act on it. But that was a really cool moment.
0: Yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah.
4: I feel like just generally speaking, I feel like, I mean, I think everybody who's been featured on the podcast has just been so talented and very informative. And I've loved learning all about them. But I also really like um, all the female um, scientists, just because I feel like, you know, years ago, it it was never like that. It was mostly just, you know, so focused on like, males just doing science and, you know, females kind of taking like a back burner type of um, approach with, I guess, science, but hearing, you know, everyone and all the work that, and you and Carly and everybody else in this lab and all like the strides that um, women have been making in the field of science has just been really empowering. And it just makes me, I guess, excited for the future.
0: I'm gonna start crying on this. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see. I'm like starting to turn bright red over here. <laughs> now my like uh, my like heart emojis are like floating out from my body. and they're, they're terrible. Okay, yeah, that's that's a that's a really lovely takeaway of yeah of you know. Highlighting and really learning about lady scientists and just the fact that we have so like we have a a never-ending list. I feel like of lady scientists, oh, like in our little niche here of drug science, (laughs) that we could just you know go on and on with. And they
1: all have great voices, and the listeners love listening (laughs) to them.
0: And they're not you know questioning whether or they're asking (laughs) the entire time.
5: One thing that I like. I didn't really go in like listen, like listening to each episode and expecting any of the scientists to sound a certain way. But I think that's like something that I realized. Like I have no expectation because there is no one face to science, and I think that's like one of the biggest goals. Like, there's no one person who represents science. It's just a bunch of people coming together about things that they're passionate about, and I can't like have expectations when there's no mold to fill. Exactly. Absolutely. I love
0: that. Yeah. And we need to keep making more room for, you know, like all shapes and sizes and looks and, you know, and uh, varieties of scientists. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Something that stood out to me was in the episode with Stephanie Chador, uh, one of the quotes that I really loved was holding each other accountable. So holding your colleagues accountable when you see something, when you hear something going on, because she said often she would hear things or like things that just happen in general in certain classrooms or with certain colleagues. And she said, it's just important to call that stuff out or else you're just contributing to that. You're not stopping anything. And her episode was also great because she talked about her being first gen and how once she was able to accept that she was able to kind of like work through it. So I think it's important and that connected to me because I'm also a first gen student. And it's great to see and hear about others connecting to that identity and how that has actually helped them in their work and just kind of like leveling leveling up as you say, Dr. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of, um, we call it imposter syndrome in the academy. Like there's a lot of feelings of imposter syndrome. Like just think about what kind of imposter syndrome you might be feeling in undergrad as a first gen. And then like you know, magnify that times 10, maybe when you roll into hopefully, you know, all of your master's and PhD programs. Like, I think that it really starts to, um, amp up for folks. And then, and then eventually you end up, Hey, you're a faculty member, but now you have to like go to these like faculty member parties and you need to like use the right fork or you need to like, (laughs) you know, choose the right wine or like eat your, eat your food. So anyway, not that if you're, um, I'm now relating, I think, in a little bit of a different way because if you're a first-gen college student, you can know all of those things, of course. But I think that um, there definitely sometimes seems to be like a vibe, too, of just like, you know, for me, it was like a a real class thing. (laughs) Maybe I'm now relating more through that. I remember one time showing up to one of my first um, like parties as a faculty member. I was at Harvard Med School. And we pulled up to the party. And my husband, my now husband and I were driving like our little like Honda, um, like it was a Honda Fit, like one of those like really little baby Hondas with the hatchback. And there was a cop at the party there to help everybody park. And he's like, yeah, you can go up and like park between like the Mercedes and the Ben or, you know, the Mercedes and the BMW or something. And so now we're like trying not to scratch. And it was like a whole line of like Mercedes and BMWs. Then we like walk up to the party. It's at this like huge mansion. Like this this house was amazing. The, um, The faculty member who was hosting it lived next to Tom Brady. Like he's like, oh yeah, that's like Tom Brady's house over there. And then he's like, you know, and then there was like a baby animal petting zoo at the party. And I just was like, I am so far out of my depths. Like I felt <laughs> like I really stuck out. I felt like I didn't belong there at this party. I mean, the people there were really like lovely and wonderful and welcoming. But just from the moment we pulled up like in our baby Honda Civic and had to park between the Mercedes and the BMW, I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> I was like, I'm dressed wrong. Everything's wrong. Who invited so, us? <laughs> yeah, who invited us for sure. So I think that there's like a lot of yeah of like you know feelings of fitting in and um feeling like whether we belong or not and these sort of things.
1: But that's what we learned is that we all do.
0: Yeah.
5: <laughs> and going full circle here, I feel like as college has become like so expensive college can be a sign of knowledge, but it also can be a sign of wealth. And so I think that's why I really value disseminating knowledge and science and making it accessible because you shouldn't have to pay like 50,000 a year to learn how to read a research paper or to like learn about what's going on in the field. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about making sure that science is like a right and scientific knowledge is a right that we all are entitled to.
0: Christina, I'd like you to put that on one of our Instagram quote squares with yes, you name it that we can put. I mean, there's been a lot of Instagram quote squares. I'm just putting it out there for Perfect. for for next week once we have our transcript. All right, so um, ho- we're hoping to do a season two. Uh, we'll, you know, I feel like this is like a, a summer school podcast. So come back for a season two for next summer. Um, What are you hoping that we get into for season two, either topics or, or types of guests or what are you looking forward to for, for that?
3: I'm hoping it'll be like a post COVID, like summary wrap up or something (laughs) like kind of like navigating your world (laughs) mask free. Like what's it like walking out and not expecting everyone to wear a mask? What's it like to hug some of your friends? Like I'm hoping
1: that's so true yeah yeah I didn't think about that asking people like yeah what is it like to have like human contact again (laughs) yeah doing different studies on that we can do like focus groups live focus groups for the next
0: (laughs) we were initially planning to do this podcast in person with people so like all of my equipment that I have here is for taping in person So not only do I hope to give people an instructional on how to, you know, be within six feet of each other, but also hopefully we'll be doing some of these in person. (laughs) Anything else that you guys hope that we dig into?
2: Um, This is kind of like random but related, but like I'm hoping by season two that like in UD students I mean students and faculty will be like incorporate I know well faculty will be incorporating the podcast episodes maybe in like curriculum because this, yeah. is, this is totally applicable and I think it's really accessible
1: agreed absolutely let's flood their email inboxes <laughs> town hall meetings
5: I also think going off of like the whole post COVID, hopefully, um, world, maybe some like new scientific findings on COVID. I think we've definitely got a lot of like, fresh off the pages, like what we know about COVID now, but hopefully we'll know more vaccines will be like developed and different. And I just science is always changing. So maybe there'll be new stuff to learn and talk about.
0: Absolutely. And I think that there are definitely even like sex and drug science that is going to be really interesting to learn about post-COVID. I, I think a lot of people are really worried about what's going to happen with the opioid epidemic during COVID. Or we talked with um, Kim Nelson about what's what's it going to be like for her um, young um, sexual minority men in some of her studies um, to be, you know, living at home or, you know, being so bound to home. And what's that kind of going to look like for, for their lives for right now? Uh, so I think there will definitely be some interesting sex and drug science to be had uh, to learn about what does that all look like during a pandemic
5: yeah and I think that the pandemic has like I know that intersectionality has been like a topic for a while but it's like coming out especially in a pandemic seeing how different demographics are affected differently and how all of science connects to it like itself. And I think that's something we've talked about on the podcast as well. It's been a common thread that like everything is connected. The whole world is connected.
0: Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I'm really, I will say also that when we first sat down and wrote up our list of guests um, pre-COVID that we wrote a really robust list of infectious disease doctors because infectious disease doctors, MDs do some of the most amazing sex and drugs research. And then I didn't have it in me to email any of them to ask them to do that because they were all, you know, especially in the first couple months of us taping, they were all on the COVID wards. Like all of them were working so hard. And so I'm really hoping for season two that um, we can get, you know, get some of our infectious disease docs on here, some of our favorites, um, and we can continue to like get greater diversity in the people that were coming on the podcast. Um, I think because of COVID, you know, we had also reached out to some other people and just, you know, if you think about our moms who are working from home are like super busy, like there's just a lot of people who are not just, you know, hanging at home waiting for us to call and podcast with them, unfortunately. (laughs) So, you know, I think that as people, as, you know, hopefully as kids go back to school, as um, people's kind of lives return to more you know of a normal state, we can also um continue to recruit diverse voices to to come and join us and share their science. and
2: um another thing I'm hoping for season two is like UD faculty would be featured yeah. on there like um like Dr. Anna Aviles and um, yes. Dr. Yasser Payne because I actually this is like a side tangent but like I've listened to a podcast episode with Dr. Payne like another Delaware like local podcast so
0: was it the fatherhood one I heard that was a oh that was maybe a different one
2: um no it's like a different one um it's like a Delaware one and it's like yeah it's it's really cool
0: yeah I have all of these like grand dreams about interviewing our local people in person but if we get to season two and we're still not able to leave the house we're just gonna zoom with them we'll definitely get them (laughs) so
3: for season two. I also want to hear from like the listeners. Yeah, okay. Like, what are their comments? What do they want to see? Because I know we have some international listeners.
1: Tons, loads.
0: So <laughs> six. six, six. No, maybe five continents. We're not, we're not in Africa yet, but we're in all. I don't
1: know. But whoever you are in France, we love you so much. <laughs>
0: yeah, France was one of our first listeners.
1: Yeah.
0: I um
4: I think it's really interesting, at least from season one hearing different scientists and everyone on the podcast who have worked in different countries and hearing how, you know, their work is like similar, but also different from the work that we do here in the United States. And I feel like, you know, public health is a big um, part of not only, you know, the country, but I also feel like, you know, taking it a step further and thinking about like global health. Is also really interesting just because public health and global health, I think, at least in my opinion, are pretty, they're connected in a way because I feel like, you know, we can learn from other countries and the work that they've been doing. But, you know, so I, I just really thought it was interesting hearing different. You know, perspectives from people who have worked from you know different parts of the world. So I just really enjoyed listening to what they had to say about different um,
0: public health topics. Hundred percent. Okay. That Mackenzie makes me think too. I mean, just um, about one of the other things I was hoping to do this season, and we we didn't get to it, and so hopefully it will really prioritize it for future seasons, is really disrupting the idea of who can be a scientist. So this, um, this season we interviewed all people like with PhDs or MDs, people working in academia, and I'm really hoping also that next season we can go talk to some of our community collaborators or people who are using, who are doing sex and drug science, but who aren't on, you know, not on university campuses and talk to them about what that looks like. So I think it's, we didn't get that message out enough this season that um, you don't need a PhD to do great science. And hopefully that's also something that we can um, really highlight and talk about next season too. So lots of, lots of different kind of locations, you know, throughout the world you know off of university campuses and really um continue again to highlight the kind of like diverse voices of scientists so
4: exactly just because I feel like you know there are so many parts that make up just like the public health and science world and um getting rid of there are so many people getting rid of stigmas and you know all that type of work and I feel like it's important to like recognize and appreciate the work that they're doing because they're also making a difference in the world of science absolutely
1: Uh, and on that note I think all of you guys are helping to make a difference in the world of science too and disseminating it and doing all the wonderful things by working so hard this whole semester on this podcast so thank you guys so much for everything that you guys have done for, you know, since, well, this has been more than a semester now. I guess that's not even fair to say at this point, right? Yeah. For ages at this point. Thank you guys very much.
0: Yeah. I say this a lot. Don't tell any of my colleagues. Hopefully they don't listen to this podcast, but this, (laughs) um, this lab group is Far and away, my the favorite thing I do as a faculty member: interacting with you guys and and doing science with you, and now leveling up, as I guess I say, <laughs> and disseminating science as well in in a in a different way. And I'm really grateful that you spend time with us, that you work so hard, um, you know, on on the podcast, but also what on all aspects of the research that we do. I mean, we really just we couldn't do it without you, and I'm. Um, super grateful that you choose to choose to come and choose to do it with us so thank you thank you
1: here
2: here
0: so carly season 1 is done i know wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our goal was to bring you a summer podcast summer school-esque with your favorite sex and drug scientists and we did it. We sure did. Sure did. Um, I had so much fun doing this. I had a lot of fun and so now I'm like feeling all the feels that it's over. I feel like really proud of us that we got this season out, and I also feel sad that it's wrapping up.
1: (laughs) I know me too but then excited to come back for season two.
0: Yeah. So our plan is to come back next summer with, um, with some fresh new sex and drug scientists and some great conversations with them. And if we can get ahead on our science homework, aka, you know, like our real jobs this fall, we'll aim for a few episodes for you over the holidays um, this winter will be our goal.
1: And so in the meantime, make sure you guys subscribe to Sex Drugs and Science wherever you get your podcast so you can stay up to date when we do have new episodes. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at sexdrugscience no and or email us at and science at gmail.com with feedback. Unless
0: that feedback is critical or sexist, then you can send it directly to Dr. Kim Nelson at Knels at faux.com. Thanks to the Stigma and Health Inequities Lab at the University of Delaware, including Alyssa Leung, Christina Holzapfel, Mackenzie Sarnak, and Sarah Lopez. As
1: always, this episode was edited by Christina Holzapfel. And thank you again to City Girl for letting us use your music for this season and to Connie Chung for the artwork.
0: And we'd like to put out one more huge, huge thanks to all of our guests for joining us this season and especially for bringing their conversational A-games to the podcast. And a warm and like super enthusiastic, thank you all for listening.